0: Yeah, Yeah. we are nine years old, and I tell you, uh, nine years is both a long time and a short time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You watch your kids grow up, and you think, wow, it's just like yesterday, and yet you look back and say, it's been nine years, right? I mean, we've been at this for quite a while now, but nine years ago, God started something here in this place, and just take a look around, just for a second, just take a look around at the room and see what God has done in nine years. We recognized nine years ago that there were some problems in the local church, and because of that, we said we want to set out and try to help with some of those problems. Did you know between 100 and 200 churches in America will close their doors this week, 100 to 200 in America this week? Death is a normal part of the life cycle, but we decided we wanted to be on the upswing of that. We wanted to, if, if there was going to be death, there needed to be new babies, and so we wanted to start a church. We wanted to be part of the process of healing the church and starting new churches and things like that. And so, and so we prayed and said, God, would you do something great? We're going to step out in faith, and we want to do something. And that's the reason our vision has always been for us to be involved in local church planting and global church planting. And that's why 100% of what we give to missionaries goes to, uh, to people around the world and here in the country where we say we want to help plant churches. If churches are dying, we want to help start them. And uh, that's why we're so involved with El Salvador, because they're involved in church planting. It's why we're involved with Stadia Christian Mission, because they're involved with starting churches all over the country. And so we said we want to be a part of this. And you all may not realize it, but we have helped start Movement Church in northern Kentucky, Discover Point Church in Dayton, Chowchwapa Church in El Salvador. Our efforts have been key in helping those churches launch. That's why we started Project 215 because we said, well, how can we reach a whole new community of people, a whole new community of faith, focus on the 20 and 30-somethings, and let's meet at a different time, at a different hour, and, and let's create something here, because we've always been about planting. That's why our long-term vision here is that we would take what we're doing here, and we would do it in another city, just like this. And while we would uh, put it under the same heading, the same auspices, the same leadership, but maybe God would raise up a leader among us who would go... And to another city, a place where maybe other churches wouldn't go. And maybe we would start and say, God, we want to plant another campus of Axis Church. And that's been a long-time goal for us. And we're just waiting for God's timing on that. Another problem that we sort of were burdened by in the beginning was there were too many people leaving churches because they had a belief that the church wanted something from them. And so we said, we don't want... We don't want to tell people that we want something from them. We want to give them something. It motivated us to think we want to tell people that God is for them, not against them. And that's why we started with this mission of we want to revolve the world around Jesus one life at a time. Because that's how Jesus did it. He was not concerned with the crowd nearly as much as he was the one person, one life at a time. And We dreamt about it. And we planned ways to connect with people and to show them God's love. And that's why we had parties in the park before we ever started as a church. How many of you were at a party in the park? in the uh, back way back in the day some of you guys just like a handful now that was the handful of the faithful right there man we had parties in the park and said just invite your friends we don't know what this is going to look like but you would just invite them that's why we had a baby changing station at the warren county fair and the 100 degree temperature that's why we have built countless relationships with people we have had relationship building events over the years like christmas invasion free garage sale open mic nights in the coffee house last summer's heritage oak Part jam to serving the teachers at Lebanon High School and on and on and on to work to participating in a local CrossFit gym and then even starting a coffee shop. By the way, that coffee shop this week was just named People's Choice Award by the Mason Chamber of Commerce, and that was awesome. (laughs) Totally unexpected, totally unexpected. I love when Roger stood up there and he said, we've now given out $15,000 to causes in this city for the cause of kids because we want to help support the lives of kids in this city, and our employees take no, no tips at all. We've done all of this because we wanted the city to know that we are for them, not against them. We wanted them to know that we are here for them. We wanted to bless them. No strings attached. So in everything, we wanted to be good news. Another problem that burdened us, was that we realized that one of the fundamental challenges in the church was that somewhere along the way, the church had become about an event, not about discipling relationships. And this event is attended about 1.6 times a month on average. Did you know that? People think they're regular attenders of, their, of your church if they attend 1.6 times a month. I'll see somebody out, I'm like, hey, where you been? They're like, hey, I'm a regular attender of your church. I'm like, really? I've only seen you one and a half times this month. Well, I don't know. But Jesus focused on discipling relationships, And so we said from the beginning, we want to focus on discipling relationships. Our vision has been to revolve the world around Jesus one life at a time, but our strategy has been that we would create disciples of Jesus in relational environments. And we determined that we would be so focused on building relationships and disciples that what would happen is that we would focus on our community groups more than on the worship experience back in the day. That's why after year one, we were actually able to survive when we had no place to meet because we weren't focused on an event. We were focused on relationships. And for two months, we were in houses of people in November and December of 2011, I think, or 2010. And so we were all together back then, and we would have six house locations, and we had an internet broadcast between the houses, and we had competitions for breakfast in the morning. Remember those days? Those were good days. How many of you were in those days back then? <laughs> yeah wow, that's actually a lot. Those are crazy days. But we, people said, how did you survive without having a weekend experience? I said, well, because we built it like they did in the New Testament. We tried to say, how can we build relationships in, in discipling environments? And that's why our community groups are so important. That's why our core groups are so important. And that's why about three years ago, we really felt like God led us to kind of look at what were the, the nine things that Jesus taught more than anything else. We call them nine elements of discipleship. And Josh and I led through that, and then we preached through it for a year. We led our community groups through it for a long time. And all of that was done so that we would be able to teach people how to make disciples and be disciples. And right now, I hate to even say this, but we are at the end, I hope, of writing our book together that will, I hope, really inform all of us on how to be better disciples of Jesus. And uh, we have been working every week on that and, uh, and spending time doing that. We had a lot of other things that motivated us, too. We dreamt of a church that authentically worshiped, and uh, Sherry sure helped us with that as well, didn't she? I would sure rather have her on the piano than me, that's for sure. We dreamt of a church that was grace-filled because so much of the church was judgmentalism, and so we said, how can we have a place that that's just filled with grace? We dreamt of a church that was committed to the Bible. That's why our preaching is always focused on God's Word and what He said in His Word and you always don't care so much about what we say. You care about what the Bible says. And, and we dreamt of a church that so would have fun together. That's why we do silly things like have costume days and things like this. People go, what kind of church is this, man? I, if you're a guest here today, you're like, is this what they always do? Well, at least you weren't here last year when we made this place out to look like a circus, literally. And listen, guys, I have one word for you today, and that is this. And I want to encourage you with this. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. It has been nine years, but our God is just getting started. And I want to speak a personal word to those of you today who feel like maybe God's given up on you. And I want to tell you that in your life, you need to hear that God is just getting started. You may think you're not worthy, but God is just getting started. You may think you don't have enough to contribute, but God is just getting started. You may think that your best years are behind you, but God's just getting started. You may think you're too old or too young, but God is just getting started. Speaking of too old, Josh and I were at my mom's house on Wednesday. We're taking Wednesdays to write. It's good for her, good for us. She's lonely these days, so it's nice for us to spend a day. We just write up there, and we just hang out, and she gets to feed us. Amen. It's delicious. And uh, so she takes good care of us, and we write. But on every other Wednesday, she has house cleaners that come in, and it's fine with me. I put headphones on, but Josh is a little ADD. He can't handle it. He has to go outside to get away from the cleaners. And so the, the cleaners were inside. Josh was outside. And one of the cleaners asked me, so what are you guys doing? I said, we're writing. And she said, oh, that's great. I said, I was also writing with my dad at some point. you know, And we actually got 100 pages into our book, but you know, he passed away, and I need to finish that. And she said, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's sad. And she said, well, you need to finish that. And then she said something that very surprised me. She said, um, is the young man on the front porch? Now, is that your son? (laughs) Excuse me? Man. Josh really enjoyed that. I said, yeah, he's out there doing his homework. That led, to, that led to this uh, Friday when I actually ended up getting no-line b- bifocals. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. Amen. They cost more money, but I'm like, man, God is good. I don't know. You may think it's over, guys, but God is just getting started. How many of you ever watched a football game or a baseball game? It's your favorite team playing, and they're just doing terribly and you think, this is ridiculous, I can't handle any more of this, you shut the TV off, you throw the remote, whatever, but the next morning you wake up, and they say, it's the greatest victory in the history of the NFL. Your team came back and won, and what you realized was, you turned that TV off just a little bit too early. And some of you guys today, you feel like, man, God has given up on me, or maybe I'm too old or too young, and I'm just telling you, don't turn the TV off, because God's still got something for you. There's a quick story that I want to share with you before we uh, as we teach today, and that's from John chapter 11, listen to these words. And now there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. He was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her, his, hair, or his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so they, they tell Jesus he's in a different city. Jesus, he's sick, and I'm guessing he didn't just have a headache. He didn't just have a backache. This is critical condition. Lazarus was sick. By the way, did you know that I think it's good that they don't tell us what he had? Because if they had said Lazarus had cancer, then we would have thought the only people that this verse applied to were those that had cancer. The city said Lazarus is sick. And what that tells me is God is concerned about every single problem that any one of us face. Every problem that we face, God loves you and is concerned about you, and he's there to help you through it. He doesn't always fix everything. For us, but he leads us through it. Now, did you know that Lazarus' name means whom God helps? Whom God helps. And that tells me that this story is for all of us who need God's help. Friends, as a child of God, you were the one who God, God loves. He wants to help you. God will never leave you, He will never forsake you. You are a child of God. And yet, how many times do we find ourselves as a child of the king, and yet we find ourselves in situations where we do need that help? And we're going through something and we're wondering, I don't see a way out. And verse 3 says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. He needs your help. Notice. Notice the wording of this. They didn't say, listen, Jesus, um, the one that uh, has done so much for you, the one that has earned your favor, the one that has, needs to be rewarded because he's such a good guy, he's sick. No, he said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, and he's the one that you love. And what that tells me is there's nothing that you can do that earn God's love. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's help. It's important for me to know because sometimes I get caught in this, if I just would do a little bit better, maybe God would help more. God loves you just where you are, no matter what you're going through or what you're enduring. What I'm saying is the only reason we stand a chance on this earth is not because we bring something to the table, but because God loves us. Our hope is not in what we can do or what we deserve, thank goodness. It is in what God gives. Is that true? Verse 4 says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory and the glory of his son. And when I read those words, it will not end in death. Some of you, you know this story because he did die. But you know there is a difference between he died and will be brought back to the story is going to end on his death. He said he is not going to end in death. It is for God's glory and God's Son that he might be glorified through it. Here's the point. In the midst of what Lazarus was going through, God had a plan. And in the midst of, of, of this plan, and in the midst of Lazarus' pain, God's power and purpose were going to be revealed. And some of you today are going through a difficult time, and you say, I don't know how God's going to get me through this. But I have seen people time and time and time again get through some of the most difficult tragedies in life. Verse 5 and 6 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's surprising. You think, well, if he loved him, why didn't he just show up right then? Because he had a plan. That's what we would have expected. Maybe he'd show up right then. But God had a greater purpose. And when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. God did not mess up here. God is never late. He is always right on time. And verse 20 said, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. This was after those two days. She said, and Mary stayed at home, she said, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, because Lazarus died in those two days. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha was a little bit upset with Jesus. My my brother died. If you had just been here, then, I mean, this would have never happened, Jesus. You ever been there? You ever thought, God, you, you can step into any situation and stop it. You can speak in any circumstance and change it. You can do anything, which is why I'm so confused right now. What's going on in my world? Why is my life like it is right now? I see a problem, but I don't see you doing anything about it, God. I'm facing the results of these issues, and I don't really understand why you're not there. And here's what I want to tell you today. Three quick ideas. Here's the first one. When God is silent, it does not represent his absence. When God is silent, it does not represent his absence. And they say, well, where were you, Jesus? Well, he was on his way, and he had a greater plan. You ever felt you were asking, you were praying, you got nothing? You ever been there before you're saying, Lord, I'm asking, but I'm not hearing an answer? And you think God is silent, but what I want to tell you is, even though God may be silent in the moment, he is not absent. The Bible said he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. In other words, I have hope. Don't you trust me, Martha? My God says to all of you today that even though it seems like things are dead in your life, God is still alive. said to Lazarus and sisters, even though he died, yet shall he live. And here's what I'm saying. You may think it's over, friends, but God is just getting started. The game is not over. I know it looks bad, but I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. We're down by five points with ten seconds on the clock. It's going to take a Hail Mary to win the game. Look at the clock. It's not looking good. But if God is for me, who can be against me? You start to think, he's never late. He's never late. He's on time. God, will you do a miracle here? The ball is snapped. The quarterback goes back to pass. He is under pressure. And you remember, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You ever been there before? Where you go, God, I'm not sure where you are, but I'm just telling you, don't turn the TV off, gang. God is not finished yet. I love this story because it helps me with my story. Helps me understand first that God... His silence doesn't represent his absence. And secondly, God's compassion is great and his grace is sufficient. Can you relate to that? You're going through something, you say, I know God is God. Boy, I need his help. And Somehow right in the middle of this, I know it hurts. And I don't know where God is right now. I know we have kids today. Any of you uh, kids, how many of you like getting a shot? Anybody like getting a shot in here? Yeah, yeah, you guys? Cool. Awesome. Cool. Afterwards, we'll give you your flu shot. It'll be fun. That would be a cool sermon illustration, actually. Um, but uh, anyway, so have you ever been there? You ever had like a four-year-old little girl? I have two, two daughters, and, you know, you take your little sweetheart to um, the doctor, and she's wearing a little T-shirt. Maybe it even says Daddy's Little Princess or something like that. And you're like, oh, you're a sweetheart, but you don't know what's about to happen. And um, you start to promise her the world. You're like, if you're just good and you don't cry too much, I'll give you ice cream after You know, just trust me. This is going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And you look at a little helpless, sweet little princess right there. And then she sees this person coming at her with this huge, sharp object. And she's looking at you like, are you seeing what is happening here? Are you going to do anything about this? Daddy's little princess is on my shirt. You need to take care of this guy. And then the the doctor says, you need to hold down her little arms. And now you're in a real situation because now you're holding down her little four-year little arms. And she's like, oh, now you're a participant in this. You said you left me. You said you were with me. You said you had my back. I'm throwing this t-shirt away when I get home. And you're thinking this whole time, you need this shot. You don't know how important this is. I know it hurts you now. But trust me, baby, it's a lot better than chicken pot. It's a lot better than the measles. I know that you think it's not good right now, but just trust me. And friends, if you know that God loves you, He he will allow you to go through pain sometimes, but he is right there with you. And he says, I'm going to allow you to go through some things, but I want you to trust me. It is for your good. God's compassion is great. His grace is sufficient. Verse 35, it says Jesus wept. He wept not for Lazarus because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wept for Mary and Martha who were grieving their brother." And you just need to hear today that our God is a compassionate God. He loves you. His compassion is great. His grace is sufficient. And some of you are thinking today, I I don't know. And I'm just telling you, having having been one who's walked through pain with other people and then personal pain, I want you to know that, that I know that sometimes God does not change circumstances. Sometimes you pray for somebody and they still pass away. Sometimes there is still hardship in your life. And that's because I know that God is most concerned, not about changing your circumstance, He's most concerned about changing you. Verse 43 says, when Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He called and something that was dead was spoken into life. Verse 44 said, the dead man came out, his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and then uh, he had a cloth uh, around him and Jesus said to him, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Can you imagine that scene? Imagine the scene as Lazarus came out of the grave and say, Lord, we were hurting, but now you give us hope. We thought he was gone, he was dead forever, but now you've given him back to us. And here's the last thing I want you to see, friends. God will use your story for his glory. God will use your story for his glory. And that is something that I've been praying about for nine years for our church, that God will take all of our stories And make it for His glory. We started nine years ago with a dream. That while there were many churches that were dying, we were going to start something new. And that while there were churches that focused more on the event than on relationships, we were going to do what Jesus did and build discipling relationships. Jesus often deflected crowds. And we said we want to build relationships with people. We want to get in the weeds with people. We want to be able to love and encourage and support one another and and pray with one another. And the great thing is that it's transferred well beyond our original team. I see multiple relationships going on all over this place where people are loving and supporting and encouraging one another. Less of me. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. This was for God's glory. Verse 45 says... That there were many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary. They were coming to pay their respects. They had come to visit Mary and they saw what Jesus did and they put their faith in him. And friends, I just wonder who's going to be in heaven instead of hell because they watch God change everything. They watch God change everything in the story of Lazarus. They're watching God change everything in your life as you go from somebody who's angry to someone who's peaceful. Someone who's selfish to someone who's selfless a marriage that's broken to a marriage that's healed, and a church that said, we want to tell a community that we are good news for this community. We want to do everything that we can to tell them we are for them, not against them. Everybody knows what the church is against. We want to tell them what we're for. We want to tell them that God loves them with an everlasting love, that Christ died for them, that heaven is their home, that That forgiveness is extended and offered to them. And I want to see another nine years, or as David said in our prayer this morning, another 90 years. And while none of us will be here at that time, we just pray that God will continue to do a good work. Because while you think it's over, our God is just getting started. God, we pray and we thank you for what you're doing here in this place. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the past. But also look forward to the future. Hope is stronger than memory. So God, lead us to a new hope. Lead us to a future together. And God, I pray today that you would continue to carry out your will in this place and the generations to come as we focus on loving you, loving people, learning your word, and doing it in authenticity. God, thank you for your grace. We worship you now. We pray in your name. Amen.